As our viewers shamble towards us like the hordes of undead in our movies we're going to talk about this week, welcome to Cadaver Dogs, Dawn of the Dead. I'm your host, Rob Basercha, and joining me are David B. Jacobs and Devin Shepard. What's up, guys? I am sick today, so this is going to be a fun one. <laughs> are you infected? I do not have the COVID. I'm pretty sure it's a cold. Is it a zombie cold? Oh, man. I didn't even think about that. Am I going to turn, like, tomorrow? You guys are just, like, going to... I'm going to Zoom with you guys, and you're going to see me, like, turn blue. I want to be a Romero zombie, I think. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I am going to PA tomorrow, and I hear there's zombie deer there. So, you know, if I come back with uh, looking a little green, you guys might want to keep your distance. Where are you going in PA? You go to Pittsburgh. Check out the mall. Is the mall in Pittsburgh? That would explain a lot. Speaking of malls and the shambling undead, Devin, why don't you tell us what our first film is? All right, our first movie is the classic Dawn of the Dead, 1978, directed and written by George A. Romero. A zombie apocalypse has ravaged the earth and left humans to go mad while asking the question, what do we do? Fran, Peter, Stephen, and Roger lock themselves in a mall in order to escape the murderous zombies outside. In the mall, they find everything they need to live and they create a seemingly happy home. In time, it's revealed Fran is pregnant and Roger is bitten, which is when the characters learn that survival is not just about surviving and death is coming from them no matter what. Wow. That sounds dark when you put it that way. It's a dark fucking film, man. Like, going through the commentary movie. and, like, looking at the socio-political <laughs> commentary of this movie, you're like, oh, fuck, the 70s were a dark time. Which, let's just get out of the way, because everyone who talks about this movie knows it's about consumerism. The zombies are these raving consumers who are drawn to the mall. Okay, but it's not just about consumerism, and that's something I very much want to talk about today. I feel like in researching, everyone's like... Dawn of the Dead, the ultimate consumerist movie. And I'm like, but it, there's so much more. There's so much more. Yeah, I think actually uh, Romero even said that he didn't think it was explicitly about consumerism, which is kind which of Which is bullshit. Well, well, <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's not only about consumerism. Taking any movie and boiling it down to a single talking point is going to do it an injustice. Right, right. But I want to know. Yes. Did you guys think this movie was funny? Because it is a satire. I don't think it is quite a parody, but I think at times it almost parodies the zombie genre. And I laughed a lot of times. I, I wouldn't say it's not funny at all. They're, they're mild humor. It, 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 it's comedic to watch the zombies shambling around the mall. They're the zombies, and they're just shambling around the mall. Like it, it, it's a comedic image. I like them on the escalator, fumbling over each other and whatnot. Um, it's I, I'm not I don't laugh when I watch the movie. It, it doesn't it doesn't make me laugh out loud at I don't think any point. Really, really, mm -hmm. zombies getting pied in the face. The the drunk news commentary. That's my favorite part. The zombie that got pied in the face was one of my professors in college. By the way, <laughs> no way. That's crazy. Wow. Mark Milhone. Wow. That's awesome. You know Shut up. <laughs> all I could think about while watching this movie, I'm like, wow, there's so many extras. Where are they all today? And are they still telling everybody that they were a zombie in this movie? <laughs> he did. He stood up in front of the whole class and said, yeah, I was the guy who gets pied in the face. Wow. Well, well you know, they only got paid $20 a day to be extras. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because well, this movie, despite it looks pretty good, and it, I think it holds up well over time, aside from maybe some of the sound design, but it's a very, very low-budget movie with a very small crew, and all the zombies are basically friends and family, and they got a t-shirt that said Dawn of the Dead and a lunchbox of Dawn and the Dead. You can so tell that that's a vibe. It really much seems like, you know, you and your group of high school friends picked up a camera and said, hey, let's make a movie, dude. Let's let's do it. Let's just go to the mall and shoot something. And that's kind of what they did, because this was like a big new mall that had just opened up that gave Romero kind of this idea. And the mall wouldn't let them go in and shoot there all the time. So they only had like three or four hours a day to shoot. So basically, they'd run in there really quick early in the morning, switch out a lot of the lights for like... Uh, fluorescent so it just looks a little nicer and then just start like run gunning shooting which is crazy to me i mean i suppose there had to be times when they were shooting at night where the mall was just like you can stay a little longer for the biker scene at the end because there's no way they shot that in three or four hours well they could have shot over multiple days there, i mean there's no way they shot that in one day absolutely regardless. not yeah but uh 
I, I would hope that they didn't have to shoot in three-hour spurts for the entirety. Maybe they could do makeup while the mall was still open or something, just prep. Yeah, there's probably a lot of prep before yeah. that, yeah. Um, and maybe, the, was the was the alcove that they live in, was that part of the mall, or was that, like, a set somewhere else? It was a set somewhere else, and, I mean, part of the reason, too, they, they left all the Christmas decorations and stuff up, so that they wouldn't, you know, take up the time that they didn't have. Mm -hmm. So the art was already set up. And I know they shot this over, like, three months or something, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, considering the crew size and just the scale of the project. Because this, compared to Night of the Living Dead, it's, like, it's a lot more than Alien and Aliens. Like, like Aliens was bigger, but this is, like, gigantic in comparison to Night of the Living Dead. It's like, oh, let's go from, like, a little shack to hundreds of zombies around everywhere. Oh you mean in terms of the scale of the disaster? Not just the scale of the disaster, just the scale of the film. Like, there are just so many more people involved. I mean, I guess Alien yeah. to Aliens is a decent comparison, but whereas, like, Alien has one alien, Aliens has, like, hundreds. This is, like, thou- hundreds or thousands of zombies all over the place. There's helicopters, there's all kinds of things that they had no budget for in the original. Yeah, it's a bigger house. Yeah, it's a bigger house. Well, it's a lot bigger <laughs> house. But they're not just in the house, either. They're, they're flying a helicopter around. There's, like, a news station. There's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. There's a lot. Do you guys know why Romero waited so long to make a sequel? I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't think he wanted to make a sequel right away. And uh, the story goes that Dario Argento actually had a conversation with him. He kind of reinvigorated George Romero's I don't know, fire for making the zombie genre. And then he wrote this script in like three or four weeks. And then he talked to his name, Tom Savini, the special effects uh, guy who's in the movie. He's like one of the heads of the biker gang. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like a legend. He's, he's an absolute legend. He's in like every zombie movie. Yeah. And he sent the script over to Tom Savini and uh, his only thing was given, come up with more ways for me to kill people. <laughs> so he was like, okay. And he just started helping. And this thing kind of like was created organically. And while they were starting the production of this film, uh, George Romero was on his other movie, Martin, the vampire flick. So what do you guys think of the zombies? They look kind of blue, right? They look blue. They look green. You can see, I mean, the face makeup is not the best. But, I mean, when you, when you read about it and when you think about it, he's putting makeup on hundreds and hundreds of extras every single day. You can only do so much. And so... Yeah. yeah, he knows the the face paint is bad, but where the real uh, genius of the effects lies is, are in the details of the extras that they chose to like give more screen time and to give close ups to. Because I mean, the best thing about this movie, I think, is really the characterization of the zombies. They give everybody this really specific thing, and they they talk about how like you know they they thought specifically about okay, where were these people when they died, and how did they come back to life? You know, we see nurses in there who were obviously in the hospitals we see um some patients we see like a nun and we're like uh there's a couple people that look like they were in car accidents and they really like put so much time and energy into these specific details um regarding the blue face makeup which i also agree looks extremely fake but to briefly defend it uh i i you you mentioned earlier rob that you consider a kind of a parody of zombie movies Mm -hmm. Uh, the blue face makeup feels more like a reference to 50s comic books, which were heavy, heavy into horror. Zombies would show up all the time. And they just, they had bright primary colors. That was literally what they had. They didn't have the ability to print anything more nuanced. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's more of a reference to those comics, which doesn't really work for me. But mm-hmm. I, I, I... I agree, though, what because... Because Romero actually said that he liked the bright blood, whereas Tom said that he didn't. Mm-hmm. And Romero's reasoning was he gave it this kind of like comic book feel. Definitely. I mean, you have all these crazy characters and they do this like really insane storyline from beginning to end. What do you guys think of the beginning of the movie? Um, we start off way past Night of Living Dead. Because at the end of the Night of Living Dead, it seemed like this was a localized event. Yeah. Uh, and it was going down, and people had really like taken care of the situation, right? They were, they were killing them all off in these local militias, and it wasn't the the end all apocalyptic scenario that Dawn of the Dead starts in. The beginning of Dawn of the Dead, we're in a, a newsroom, and it's just chaos even on the floor of the media center. People are drinking, throwing things, and it only gets worse as the movie goes on. Um, and I think there's 
there's this commentary on like the government race relations with minorities as right after the first scene of the movie we see a, a military group overtaking um an apartment building with lethal force right and it's we're told explicitly that all the inhabitants are puerto ricans or black people by an overtly racist uh psychopath who goes in there and just starts raising hell and shooting innocent people Mm -hmm. until our hero character peter shoots him in the back and what's interesting is that peter and roger kind of have their first connection with peter pointing a gun at roger in the basement because he thinks that roger might have seen him shoot this guy going on a rampage but Roger somehow kind of non-verbally indicates that he's okay with him shooting him. Or actually, I think he says something about it. But he's kind of giving him the nod that he's not a racist. That's how I read the scene. And that's why these two guys kind of have this, like, connection early on. Because he's not racist? Well, I, uh, not, not, <laughs> only, not only that he's... Well, he's not racist, yeah. But he also, he's against this, like, kind of homicidal mania of this other guy and he's willing to like put the brotherhood of the military or whatever um behind morality so it's a little bit more than just i'm not racist i have a moral compass and i'm willing to kind of um defend it and i defend you for uh doing this heroic deed i think their connection goes deeper than that i i i think that they're kind of brothers in arms they're both uh swat team members they're both cops and they have similar attitudes toward life. I agree um, with that, but I'm just saying their initial connection is based on this point. Right, it's proving that they have <clears throat> that they have those same values, right? That you were saying. Right. Yeah, and then afterwards is when uh, Peter goes in and like executes like 15 zombies. I, I'd be interested to hear the perspective of someone who is not white on this aspect because. I don't know if the movie actually handles its racial relations all that well. It feels a little one-dimensional to me. Uh, but I'm, I'm a white dude. I'd, I'd be curious to hear uh, a different perspective on that and if it actually does itself justice or if it's a very 70s white writer trying to, to do well and being well-intentioned but kind of missing the mark or, or if it's actually just, I don't know. <laughs> It's messy. It's messy because race relations is—it's definitely a topic in this film. I think they bring it up multiple mm-hmm. times. I mean, outside of what you guys were talking about, when the motorcycle game comes into the mall, you know, half of them are wearing uh, sombreros and like um, Mexican clothing, and you're like, obviously, you're saying something here, and obviously, you're bringing race relations into this movie. But I'm not really sure what it is you're trying to say or why you're doing it. So, like, I don't think that. It, what you're saying, David, like, I agree. I don't think it does it well. Um, I don't yeah. know what it's doing, though, so I can't really comment on if it's doing it well or not. Even with Peter, uh, they have a moment where Fran asks... He's talking about his brothers back home, and Fran's like, oh, do you mean your street brothers or your real brothers? Oh Which is gosh. like... that. It, it, it's very, very outdated in that moment. And then his response is like, oh, it's a bit of both. I have these two brothers. One's in jail and the other's a pro baseball player. And I'm like, cool, mark that stereotype, mark that stereotype. Well, yeah, no, it's interesting. It's saying, like, <laughs> well, these are the only things that, like, black people have the opportunity to do at that time. Be a cop, be a player, be a criminal. Yeah, yeah, which I think is kind of interesting because at least it, it talks about these things and it seems to cast a negative light on the stereotypes. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it does. I mean, that beginning scene when th- they're doing the violent imminent domain, I mean, that's a complete explicit um, critique of the way government handles these race relations, that they're doing it very badly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good point. I do think it's well-intentioned. I just feel like it might be one-dimensional, but again, I'd be more interested in hearing the opinion of someone who is not white. I mean, I don't know if that matters, what the skin color is of someone. I think it would be more relevant if they were maybe alive in the 70s. I think that's really it. Yeah, like, it's a different time, so we don't even know, like, what they were discussing about race relations at that time. So what are they even commenting on in particular? Yeah, because I don't think social identity inherently has anything to do with, like, knowledge base of things, like, your knowledge on a subject. 
Well, it changes your perspective. You'll be you'll be sensitive to different aspects. It might, but not by itself. I think that your perspective is actually colored by more things than that. I think that's only one small aspect. Yeah, of course. And I think that that's why it's so important to talk about um, race relations in this way, because it seems that movies like this that critique it negatively are saying that we put too much weight on it, and that's a bad thing, when really the weight should be put on people's like morality. Like, Peter is the smartest character in the movie by far. Mm-hmm. Until the end. <laughs> Until the very, very end, when he does something that's kind of insane. Um, where he almost gets Francine killed and fucks everything up. But uh, until that point, he's by far the most logical, um, the most emotionally responsible, and the smartest and most capable character in the movie. He's the hero. I don't think there's really a question of who the hero is. It's Peter. Which makes it so much heavier when we see Peter at the end contemplating suicide, when we see our hero and the smartest person being like, this is too much and I, I think I need to kill myself. And, like, that in itself can also say something on race relations that no matter how hard or how powerful or how smart, blah, 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 that these black men are, that they're never going to reach up to the potential that, that, you know, they want to see themselves as or, like, can get to in, in white society. Though everyone else dies, so I don't really know what that's like yeah. there. It kind of felt like he was losing his last brother in, like, Flyboy dying, and it was just, it was too much to handle. Like, he kind of lost faith in society. But by the same point, it seems like him and Francine going off is, like, there's this hope of she's pregnant, you know, he can help her take care of it, because not a single pregnant person surviving in this place, um, it as in the situation, not the baby. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> right it is in the situation well you know what? Fuck it. i don't want to assume so maybe it isn't it uh <laughs> what is it a zombie baby the it the it who knows she who knows well it's not a zombie baby unless she becomes a zombie we'll get into that later <laughs> yes zombie babies to come so uh yeah but there's this hope that he can like restart society in a way but i think it's really interesting that like francine's character is not is never really sexualized yeah yeah yeah, th- there even is a, a scene, maybe too, where she is topless, but it's in this very, yeah, it's not, it's an unsexualized state. Yeah, it's it's kind of like anti-sexualized because they that's the point in the movie where they become numb to their own like mausoleum that they're kind of stuck in. Fran is kind of their their moral conscience throughout the movie that she is the character who is very understanding of what's going on she's the one who's telling them you're being hypnotized by this place mm-hmm. uh this is this is not the promise it seems to be and all so Flyboy is telling her like oh we have look at all this stuff we have we have so much stuff he's never even specific he just keeps referring to it as stuff and things mm-hmm. and that's what's hypnotized them it's just things uh when he proposes to her he gives her these two rings that he obviously lifted off some shop across the mall and she's just like it wouldn't be real. Like the, hmm. it's just more things is all that he's giving her. Yeah, and it's so cool that you see them like really dive into the shopping element where they do, you know, they get all these things yeah. rather than um, money and value. Well, some value, but then when the motorcycle gang comes, they just come and they steal all the money and they steal all the jewels. And there's even that shot where they're stealing rings off of a zombie and wallets from the back of the zombie's pocket, and you're like. This is an interesting um, dynamic here between the two of these. One, if we're talking about consumerism, I think there's also one, maybe like the moderately wealthy just wants more stuff, but maybe the less wealthy just wants more money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting? It's a lot of time when I watch analysis is on this film, they talk about the biker games as like the villains, mm. right? But yeah. in a way, I, I feel like the main characters are kind of, painted as like villainous compared to everyone else because there's this scene where they've just gone through the mall and they they were enjoying themselves they're playing in the arcade and everything then they're all standing there in fur coats that could be mink while all the zombies all the consumers outside are banging on the gates and they won't let them in yeah and it seems like this very strong image of like we're the wealthy this is our castle fuck the rest of you you know and i feel like the bikers at the end are the uprising of like, I don't know, the proletariat or whatever, smashing and grabbing all the things they need 
but the elite have turned it into this like dog eat dog scenario. Exactly. There is even a moment where a zombie, ye- or I'm sorry, where a, where a biker yells, "Don't take anything for you. Take stuff for us." The first gut instinct of the mo- of uh, analyzing the movie to say, "Oh well, the zombies are just consumers. They are hypnotized. They're zombie like, literally, and they're they're just going about their instincts." Um, mm-hmm. But the the four main characters are also just consuming. They are literally there to do nothing in particular. They're just killing time in their isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the 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 way that the room that they stay in is designed. That it looks very much like a home. There's a lot. It's furnished. There are all the things that you would need. But there's no windows. Mm-hmm. The walls are bare, mm-hmm. and it's. It's like a prison imitating a home. Yeah. 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 And after living in your New York City apartment for uh, about two years now, how much could you relate to these scenes? Uh, especially after COVID, when we weren't allowed to really go outside and I was eating canned food for like a month. Uh, yeah, things <laughs> felt like that. I yeah, felt exactly. like I was stuck in this like social isolation, you know. I kept watching the TV. Um, I, I really like how they like keep losing contact with the outside world as the movie goes on. And there's a scene where Francine turns off the TV and she's like, there's no one else out there. And Steve's, Steve walks over, which is just such a funny, um, like, uh, generic couples quarrel of like, I'm going to turn off the TV. I'm going to turn it back on. Are you going to turn it off again? And all that's on the TV is static. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... I, he mentioned that if there's a signal, of, if there's a pattern of any kind, then someone's sending a signal. I don't know exactly what that means because I don't really understand TV waves. But she um, does. Fran worked in TV, and even in the opening scene, you're seeing these signs that they're broadcasting rescue stations that are no longer operative. And she's uh-huh. she tells them, she's like, yo, this... If you're screening, if if you're broadcasting these inoperative rescue stations, you are driving people to their deaths. Yes. And the TV station is like, but if we don't broadcast them, people will tune out. They'll turn off the TV. Yeah, yeah. That was that was really uh. God, does this does this movie predate network? No, it's a couple years after network. It is right. That was a very network ask. It, it feels very much like it's responding to network. Yeah, yeah, which is awesome. Network is a fantastic movie, and it's not horror, but you should all watch it. Yeah, it is a great movie. <laughs> it should actually. be horror, but it's not horror. <laughs> it's, it, it feels pretty horrific to me, considering how prophetic it was. God. Yeah, it's more relevant now than when it came out. Oh my god, I love Network. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hear people watch it now, and they don't understand. Because they're like, that's just what the news is. Like, this changes. <laughs> it's not a satire anymore. Now it's just true. Yeah. I, I love it when they're getting drunk, and they're talking to the scientist. Um, and they're both like hammered and they're yelling at each other. And he's just like, idiots, idiots, idiots. We have to eat the dead. And you're like, what the fuck? I thought, I think that scene's hilarious. He was saying you have to feed the dead, not eat no, them. No, he, he says was... we should eat them. No, he said we should feed them. Yes, so we can eat them. Because he says that we, we're killing them. We need to kill them on sight, but we should also eat them. He's talking about how there's all this waste. It's like it's it's a it's also a, a commentary on consumerism because we consume all this stuff but then we do nothing with it. He's like, well, we should recycle it by eating the dead. Oh, I totally misunderstood that. I thought he meant feed them people. It's kind of complicated because he's calling the idiots like the zombies in the same scene in the same sentence, and he's drunk, so he's explaining it badly. But I'm pretty sure that's what he's saying is that we should be eating the dead. And I love this idea that there is just this, um, what is he? Some philosopher author that is just sitting on a TV set for the entirety of the, uh, epidemic. I almost said pandemic, the epidemic, just like talking about what we should be doing. And like, he probably shouldn't be up there in the first place, but he's like all of a sudden thrust into this position of power and he won't let it go. Like he literally won't let anyone else talk while they're talking and they're just broadcasting this guy 24 seven. He's like the only intellectual left and he's just yelling at this drunk newscaster (laughs) Who, by the way, you got you gotta love the seventies aesthetic. How they all like are bearded and hairy. So it's just hairy. Cool. I love how the eye patch is never explained too. That that was great. <laughs> Let's take a break right here to hear a word from our sponsor. The devil is in the details. Trim your nails before reading this one. 
with terrifying visuals might have you clawing at your eyes. The author of Ped, Flanagan, and Buds, James Longmore, just re-released one of his finest horror novels, Tenebrian. Amateur filmmakers break into an abandoned school to perform and film an authentic black mess, inadvertently invoking a demon. The malevolent demon of darkness requires particular circumstances and sacrifices to rend a fissure between the worlds and set free its brethren. It has manipulated humans for centuries to put things into place, and the movie makers are the unfortunate final pieces of some nefarious puzzle. The filmmakers will attempt to return Tenebrian to the pit of Hades as it hunts them all down one by one for inclusion in its hellish gateway. You can find the novel on Amazon or check for a link in the description of this episode. Now, back to the show. Well, well, welcome back, horror hounds, and I'm hoping you're shambling back from your bathroom break or whatever during that uh, quick commercial. And here to introduce our second film is David B. Jacobs. Twenty-six years later, a new dawn broke, this time from the vision of <clears throat> legendary director Zack Snyder. In his debut feature, no less, starring Sarah Polly and Fing Rings, we once again follow a squad of survivors stabbing off the zombie apocalypse from the safe haven of a shopping mall. This time with a friendly neighborhood gun store owner, an undead newborn, a dog named Chips, plus guns, guns, and more guns. This is the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. Sick. Uh, so, a lot of people consider this Zack Snyder's best movie, <laughs> and I might be among them. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was laughing. <laughs> it's yeah. a low bar. It's a low bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for anyone who hasn't, it's definitely better than his newest movie. I don't even think there's a slight argument no. to be made. <laughs> oh, definitely not. I mean, Army of Dead is still probably like his second best movie, but <laughs> again, it's a low bar. I think Army of the Dead is one of the worst movies ever. It's beyond awful. There's a zombie tiger, so... The cold open of the movie, I think, might be the best part. Yeah. When uh, it starts off really low-key, just like kind of mundane, her in this hospital setting, and then her idea of a fun, uh, was it Friday night? Of a friend, like, weeknight is going on a date night with her husband, which basically means they just drink a beer, have sex in the shower, and then go to bed. I don't think she thought that was fun. I think she was fucking worn out from being overworked during the day. She fucking rolled her eyes and said, I'm still here and I'm doing fucking overtime. And the fucking male doctor won't give her any attention. And she's like, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's awful. I'm just saying her idea of a fun date night is that after this awful shit, uh, but I, I don't just think go that, home. I don't think that's what she wants is fun, though. I don't think out. that's what she wants. I think she... Because she's oh, late. it's obvious. Okay. She's literally talking about how she's going to be working again on Sunday so they can maybe get a three-day weekend later in the month. So they were talking about with Michael later on, and I love the scene so much, and he's like, I could never keep a job. I was never good at a job. Like, I had just a whole bunch of shitty jobs. I was a shitty husband. And basically talking about how he, like, was not happy with his life. And I don't think anyone there was really happy with their lives. I mean, you, you brought up all the reasons... It seems like Sarah Polly's character was living kind of a mundane life where she was overworked. Um, Andre, he was really unhappy with his previous life and saw, you know, at least his baby as a, as a new way of living. And I guess you could say the apocalypse as a new way of living. And, like, everyone kind of was just a shitty person. Andre is totally the best character, and I wish that he was, like, the A-plot of the movie. Because he has depth, man. He's like, I was a criminal, I would steal stuff, but all that I really want right now is to just be a good husband and dad, and then he wants it so badly that when his wife is infected with a zombie virus, he's still like, he, he just ties her to the bed and, and keeps her there as a zombie until his child will be born. And, like, just goes into this full state of delusion where he doesn't even understand that his child is a zombie. He becomes a villain. Yes. It's kind of sad because his character, he, he describes himself as previously being a villain and trying to have a redemption arc, but then he mm -hmm. fails. And I think a lot of this movie wants to say, although I, I don't think it knows it wants to say this, we'll get into that, is that in times of crisis, 
we can't just go about our own previous ideas and our egoistic desires. We have to kind of pull together as a group, and that's what's going to save us. It seems like the only time people really die is when they're trying to do things for themselves, and there's a lot of instances of this. There's the instance when the priest in the beginning is telling Anna to back up and points a gun at her. He immediately gets hit by a car. There's the next instance when some guy tries to steal her car. He, he is presumably killed off after that. And then there's a the whole problem with Andre, and then there's the ending with... Uh, I think his name's Steve. It's the guy who's just, it's Steve. It's the guy who's just a total jackass. He tries to run off at the end when the truck to get his boat, which I don't fucking know why. Okay, but on the flip side of that, uh, you have in the beginning, also in the beginning of the movie, Anna's husband, I think his name was Lewis, yeah. uh, runs up to help the neighbor girl and gets bitten because he's trying to help someone else. You have Sarah Polly is chased by a neighbor who's like, help me, let me in. She ignores this person and is rewarded with continued life for ignoring someone yeah. who needed help. You have, they try to feed the gun store owner, Andy, and that gets a bunch of people killed. That doesn't work out. It even gets Andy killed. No, no, no. That's not what gets him killed. Yes, it is. It gets him killed when the girl goes there no, to get the No, when the, the dog. dog goes there. Because the dog is the one who opens no, up no, the no, door. No, 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 no. Because they had to go there anyway. No, Rob, you're wrong. <laughs> no, no, I'm not wrong because none of the group got killed when the dog went there. It's because Andy, the girl Andy went to go get the dog. The dog went in. Andy would have died yeah. anyway. Yeah. He would have starved to death. Yeah, they didn't get him killed that way. He was going to die regardless. They tried to save him and it didn't work out. We yeah, got them and then killed. this girl is thinking of her dog and not herself, and therefore yes, which, she gets which more is, people killed. Yeah, yeah, no, no, she's not thinking of, she's, she's only thinking of herself to save a fucking dog instead and of the And then the rest of, of the people. group is interested in saving her instead of leaving her alone because she's probably already dead, and that gets more people killed. It's everyone I, I, trying to save each other that winds up getting people killed. No, 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 because when they all try to do things on their own for their own purposes, it's what causes these issues. It's when they pull together as a group and they try to create a society rather than running away from their problems that things work out well. See, had they just stayed in the mall, they would have been fine. Which I think Nothing is a giant. Works out well. No, no, it would have been. A, it's a giant plot hole in the movie because first off, you can see the zombies in the movie rotting, and for some reason, none of the characters huh. comment on this. But if you watch, if you watch it behind the scenes. The entire crew knew this. Zack Snyder talks about it. They they purposely had the zombies rotting. So if they just waited it out, the zombies would have just rotted away. And it's obvious. Like, you can watch it. They're rotting. What's going to happen? They're not going to starve to death, but they're going to turn to skeletons and fall apart. That's such an interesting moment. Well, I didn't notice it either because we never spend any time on the fucking zombies. The zombies are like... Yeah. We don't get enough of them. We really don't. And, and even Romero's talked about that, that Romero thought it was dehumanizing to the zombies that uh, Snyder never stayed on them. He, he, he only would show them in quick glimpses and that, that others them. We've talked about othering before in our first episode, and I think that it's very relevant here as well. That's definitely true, and that's why a lot of people view this movie as a right-wing movie and the zombies as kind of like foreigners yes. coming in and infecting the U.S. Yeah. And the U.S., we have to protect ourselves for our own American values and with our guns. And this is first, at first I was like, no way. Like, this movie's too dumb to have a political angle. But then I was like, wait a minute. Um, I, I like this movie I, a lot, actually. But it is kind of like a dumb, fun movie. But the only immigrant in the group is the Russian girl, who, who you think is an immigrant because she has an accent and whatever. Can we even know? We don't know because a lot of the characters don't get enough characterization the little bit they get is usually interesting i think but she's infected and she infects the group like you let one of the immigrants in oh now you're having a problem. wait what do you mean she infects the group well well she well she's an infection in the group and they have to kill her off like she's she's a liability right oh and then like the refugees they rescue the refugees and they're yeah. infected as well and they're all liabilities yep yep yeah again but... this is what the movie is saying not what we believe yeah 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 <laughs> But, but that's just an argument of what the movie is saying. I, I'm not sure I buy it, but I could see how you can view it, though. Well, it's very sloppy because I, I legitimately don't think Zack Snyder intended this at all. Um, Snyder, because Snyder's often been accused of, like, uh, progressing right-wing politics and libertarianism in his movies. He has commented on this, saying that he is not these things himself. He is a strict Democrat. He endorsed Joe Biden, blah, blah, blah. 
Regardless, I think he tries to make his movies apolitical, and I don't believe that's possible. Yeah. When you try to make a movie that's apolitical, you wind up really just endorsing the status quo. And this movie goes even farther with that because it glorifies the destruction of this other in a time right after 9-11 when there was all this hate toward immigrants, toward uh, Middle Eastern people, and the movie uh, exemplifies, like, yes, there's this horde. They are banging at the doors, at the wall, at the border. We have to kill them. We can kill them. We can have fun with it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's hard to make a script or to make a film that's apolitical when you have James Gunn <clears throat> writing the script. James Gunn is notoriously the yeah. smartest satirical writer out there. And, like, if if I read the script first off, I would, and James Gunn was writing it, like, we would know that he's, you know, pointing fingers at this and making jokes that this shouldn't just, like, go be swept under the rug and just be seen as is. you got to point to it and say, hey, we're making a comment on how ridiculous our country is right now. I mean, CJ's character in the first place when he's sitting down watching TV and the TV in the, um, electronics store and he's watching the military like handle their shit and out there handling the zombies and he turns to them and goes see america's doing it america's gonna be fine america always saves itself i love james gunn i don't think the script feels like a james gunn script at all and i heard somewhere i'm trying to find how much of it he wrote i heard somewhere that he left Mm. halfway through so, so uh there were uncredited writers on it i don't know if that's true or not probably um i don't have time to find it's, it right it's a now. hollywood script it's probably true yeah you could definitely tell that a, a lot of the jokes are just kind of absent yeah and uh, there's also there's also an argument that this movie isn't even a horror movie that it's more of like an action film i largely agree with that i i think it's an action horror film but i definitely think there are riveting scenes um in particular that that scene when the girl i think her name's Susie, bites anna's husband i think that scene's actually scary and I think there are tense scenes that are then kind of ruined with these like slow-mo action shots of guns. With Zack Snyder. <laughs> it's ruined with Zack Snyder. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of the politics, I think, are definitely baked into the script as well. I mean, again, literally, you have a gun store owner as like a character who has no lines and he's one of the most interesting characters in the movie. <laughs> he has no lines in the movie, but he has a whole short film. That's on the DVD. That's actually, I think, really good. I think it's really interesting. I, 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 some, I largely agree with you. I think, I yeah. think, it, I think it's good. It's cool. If you guys want to watch that, it's on YouTube. It's uh, what is it? Andy's Last Days, I think. Yeah, the acting's not amazing and super low budget, but it's really interesting. Um, Found footage. The <laughs> a lot of the additionals to this movie are almost more interesting <laughs> than the movie. Well, they're not directed by <laughs> Zack Snyder. <laughs> There's a whole 20 minute section of like what's happening in the world where a newscaster is just, you can tell, been up for like 20 or 30 hours and like trying to deal with the situation. And they go to Tom Savini uh, shooting the zombies. They cut down his scene when he's talking about, I knew some of these people and we're killing them, which is like the most intimate we get with the zombies in the movie is this like clip on the internet when he's like, I think I fucked that girl. And he's like, and that guy was my neighbor. And he's like, you can tell it's fucking with him, but he's like, you got to do it. And they're throwing bodies on the pyre, which is awesome. And then we never deal with that again in the movie. They don't even, this is why I say it, they don't use the zombie baby enough. Because you see the zombie baby, and then you just cut away and hear a gunshot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, show us how they, like, th- this is a terrible thing that they have mm-hmm. to do. Show us how they handle it, and it just doesn't. And it's such a missed opportunity. In the original... Peter shoots two zombie kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it literally just shows it, which is awesome. And you can tell it fucks with them hard. Because we actually get a little bit of characterization. See, I feel it weird, because I feel like each character in this movie is very distinct. We just never yeah. spend enough time with That's them. That's fair. You know, it, except for maybe Glenn, who his only character trait is, I'm gay. But uh, they don't even, like... I think they cut that scene out of the original. And you can watch the deleted scene oh, where it explains that he's gay. Oh, okay, because I was like, I didn't see this scene. <laughs> he's a cross-dressing gay dude. There is, a, there is a scene where he's telling the uh, security guys how he realized he was gay because they're, they're stuck in a holding cell, and he's like, they're like, just please stop telling me this story because he's just droning on about him coming out of the closet while they're stuck in prison. <laughs> There's a shot of him wearing high heels, which 
you can do that and not be gay, but... Yeah, yeah. Because it has nothing to do with the movie, because his character doesn't do shit except chainsaw a girl in half, which was fucking cool. His character really doesn't do shit. <laughs> neither neither does her character. Yeah, I kept forgetting he was there. Yeah, right? And the, the sexy character... She has sex, so she has to die. Yeah, the sexy character's barely there. We don't get any characterization of her other than, like, she's sexy. I, I know nothing about her. The wife doesn't... She, the wife doesn't, um speak at all the pregnant woman i don't even know her name um yeah Luda. and then the the young girl in the in the blue jumpsuit who goes after running after the dog she's just she's what in her 20s but she acts like she's fucking 14 like i don't understand that yeah i couldn't tell how old she was supposed to be i thought she was a teenager um steve mentions she's a teenager uh, we, we also, I think we're led to believe that the, uh, the youngest security guard is also a teenager. Like this is his first job or he's a very young adult. Yeah. Um, cause yeah. he's the one who winds up being her boyfriend later, yeah. right? Yes. They, they start yeah. dating. Regardless, the, the woman in the tracksuit acts like a child and she's not a child and she has no other, she's very one dimensional. I actually don't think it's totally, uh, incomprehensible that she runs after chips because we are shown that the last person she has in her life is her father and she's seen everyone else die presumably they kill him and then uh all she has is his dog chips who she just latches onto is her only thing yeah yeah which is odd because she doesn't latch onto her boyfriend at all but she latches onto the dog you know and then she runs out to get the dog what i think is insane <laughs> is how the hell does she know how to drive a fucking truck if she's yeah. like 16 uh, they don't even, like, establish that the two are dating until after she does, and they're like, oh, you're, you're already dead girlfriend. I'm like, oh, are they dating? Oh, they have their moments. There's so many they characters. <laughs> it's subtle, though. I, yeah. 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 We don't really spend much time with any of them, except for, like, Anna and Michael. And Ving Rhames and Ty Burrell and uh, uh, that one security guard. The, the... CJ, who played by Michael Kelly... Who, Michael Kelly is one of the greatest actors of our time, and I was so excited to see that he was in this movie because I don't remember it at all. CJ. What else is he in? Started getting notoriety from House of Cards, yeah. Also, his character arc is yeah. like, no, his death scene's stupid. His character arc makes sense, right? Because in the beginning, he's acting like such an asshole. Maybe not because he's just an asshole, because he's really scared. Yeah. And that's what I get from it. That he's scared and he's also kind of a jackass. Because that's where he's like, I'll fucking yeah. kill all of you just so I live. Because he's scared. And rightfully so. This shit's scary, right? He's also a little bit rapey, though. Uh, he does get sexist with her. But I would argue that's that's like more of a power move than necessarily a rapey move. But there's also a thing where it's uh, he, he doesn't want them in at all until she says something. Then he's like, okay, maybe I'll let They you say in. a lot of degrading things to her. especially. I mean, all the security <laughs> guards do. It's a boys club, definitely. And uh, what's the other guy's name? Bart. Bart is like the, the creepiest. He's also the funniest. And <laughs> I felt too bad that he got killed by a ninja zombie. I want to talk about the zombies. And right. I guess this is kind of a good point of like true comparison between the two films. What do you guys think is the Snyder's sprint running zombies or the Shamblers of the Romero era? Do you think it was a good choice to change it this much? Do you like the change? Does it make it cooler? Or do you prefer the old ones? I don't have too much to say about it. Um, Snyder did not invent Fast Zombies, despite what anyone thinks. Fast Zombies have been around since at least Return of the Living Dead. And I don't know why people think Snyder invented them. Um, <laughs> Fast Zombies are scarier because they can actually do something. I think it's the difference of like how people argue if this is a horror film or an action film, which I agree with you, Rob. I think it's both. Um, the Fast Zombies work in Snyder's yeah. universe and yeah. in like this decade because we needed fast zombies no one was going to think that anything was scary like you were saying it needed it needed to like hurt you and it needed to feel threatening especially because we don't have a lot of really suspenseful moments in this one but like i think the slower zombies are really effective because those films are more suspenseful and because it is more of a psychological film where you are with the characters sitting there wondering, how are we going to die? How is this zombie going to kill me? As you, like, watch the zombie slowly come up and creeping up at you. Like, you have time to think in those films. And that's what makes those films scary. But I think mm -hmm. they're two different kinds of creatures, and they both work effectively in their own right. Yeah. I think there's also, like, a sensibility to it, for me, that kind of bothers me with the Snyder movies. 
um, in that they don't seem like they're really dead <laughs> because they just get up and start sprinting like marathon runners. Whereas in the Romero movies, uh, they actually get slower as the movies progress. Because if you remember in the beginning of Night of the Living Dead, they, they kind of are pretty quick. Like they move like they've died and they're clumsy. But in the beginning with the I'm coming to get you Barbara thing, that old zombie attacking them in the graveyard is pretty quick. He's smashing the car with a rock and he's doing all kinds of shit. And I, I, I understand the mythology of the zombie hadn't been cemented yet. Well, it had been. It was just different. Well, the, the current Romero zombie hadn't been cemented, right? The voodoo zombie was a thing with white zombie and with the whole historical uh, theological aspect of them creating actual voodoo zombies. When they were more of an allegory for slavery back then. Well, they were also semi-based in reality, yeah. too, because if you've ever seen The Serpent and the Rainbow, there are claims that there are drugs that can zombify your brain and make you mm. more agreeable and people kind of used you as a sort of drone. So they're not only allegorical, there is there is a historical element to it also. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's like when Steve, the elevators open up and Steve walks out of the elevator at the end of Dawn of the Dead and he's yeah. moving like he has like strict rigor mortis. I just think that's so creepy. And there's also, they're less mindless in the original than they are in the Snyder version. They use tools, they remember things. In Romero's version, the fear... I don't think zombies are scary in general, to be honest. But in Rom, Except for return zombies. Um, but in, in Romero's Dawn of the Dead, um, the, the fear is less about being attacked by the zombies and more about becoming one. Really? You think so? Yeah. That's what they talk about. But I also... My biggest complaint about Dawn of the Dead remake, aside from us not spending enough time with the zombies... More specifically is that we don't spend enough time watching the zombies eat people. Because I think that's the scariest thing about zombie films. And you mentioned Return to Living Dead. Do you remember the part when the punk rocker chick is talking about she was so scared of old men ripping her clothes off and eating her breasts? Wait, wasn't she saying she was into that? No, no. She said she has a nightmare about it. Then she rips her clothes off and starts dancing. And then the zombies come out and <laughs> eat her. Because you can tell she's scared about it, but also turns her on. It's like... You know, a paradox, right? Just a little masochism. Yeah. <laughs> in the Romero movies, we always spend a lot of time, a lot of screen time showing the zombies feast. And it's fucking horrifying. They rip your guts out. They bite your face off. It's disgusting. The zombies movies really actionify it, mainstream it. Like, in the beginning, when the girl jumps up, she jumps up like a cat. They even did wire work with it. It's like they've turned into monsters. They're no longer people. You know? it's. I just think it's so scary... That, you know, your mother could die and the next thing, she, all she wants to do is slowly rip your face off and consume it. I, I, I can take or leave the feasting. I don't think that's the scary thing about zombies. I mean, I, if zombies are going to be scary, then for me it's about emphasizing the churning. It's, again, I don't want to talk too much about Return to the Living Dead because it's not what we're covering, although we should definitely cover it at some point. But in that movie, they really, really emphasize what it's like to become a zombie and how they're just in constant pain. They can feel themselves rotting. And, like, yeah. that's terrifying. That's like, holy fuck, I do not want that to happen to me. And they, they cannot die no matter what you do to them. They would love to, but they can't. That's a different type of zombie. and That's a different right. fear, which I think is interesting. But I think, you know, that's yeah. that's more like this guardsman. What, what's the fear of mortality, of more immortality and why? How do we deal with that kind of thing? Whereas I, the horror of the Romero zombie is that it's fucking painful to get ripped apart and consumed by your neighbors. And that's scary. And then presumably at some point midway through the feasting, you're already getting back up. It's just like that's like a philosophical fear. But then the reality is that this thing's going to eat you and it's going to be miserable. It's got to be worse than being eaten by a lion because right. it's like the teeth aren't as strong and everything. But you don't think that they show that enough? I mean, the whole beginning of the Snyder mm. film is people getting eaten and torn apart by zombies. I mean, yeah, we don't see it in the close-ups that we do Romero, but you, I mean, look, if you're going to remake Dawn of the Dead, you can't even try to make it compared to what Romero and Savini did in the original, you know? So, like, might as well just kind of, like, redesign the creature a little bit. I actually enjoy the redesign, and I think this is the way I want remakes to be, um, unless they're for really old, like yeah. silent film movies or just movies that have like 
technical problems where like maybe a shot for shot remake would be good but in general i prefer you take like the plot of the premise and then you run with it in a different way i totally so, agree yeah and have it reflect a little more on on the time that you're in because i mean if the 1978 film was so much of a reflection of what was going on during that time there's no way that we can recreate it to have the same effect you know and so might as well do everything that we've mm-hmm. been talking about today and what we're going to be talking about in a little bit might as well do all that to the remake in order to make it more relative to today's audiences but i still think a lot of the themes in the original are still relevant today especially if we talk about maybe like the american dream like what does that have to say romero's dawn of the dead i think people can talk about consumerism all they want but really that's just an element of this lie of the american dream that it's it's about them setting up house in this mall surrounded by zombies knocking at their door but they're comfortable they're like we're going to get together you're pregnant we're gonna have a kid on the way we've got all the things that we need like that's what we were promise that's what we're supposed to be after is this leisure time but they're just waiting to die it's empty yeah at the same time what did we do during covid19 we got on zoom and we played risk and code names and among us mm-hmm. yeah for those of you who don't know like we're, we're friends in real life and uh, yes. we played internet <laughs> games over covid yeah to not go insane and then we yeah. would call each other and cry and fight Mm-hmm. A lot of crying, <laughs> a little bit of fighting. That's for sure. A lot of fighting. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fight. Uh, maybe a lot of fighting. If you spoke with me, there was probably a lot of fighting. The, the crying, I think, David was all and I around. were fine. <laughs> the Snyder film messes this up again with the having the zombies rot, because then, like, there's a time limit on how long you have to stay in the mall. Wait, what do you mean? In the original, there's no time limit. You could say I could wait here till I die. Yeah. But in the Snyder film, they say. I don't want to die here. It's like, why would you die? Look outside. They're rotting away. And like, that was a, (laughs) that was a conscious choice to make them rot away. And I think that's indicative of Snyder's films altogether is that he takes art design and things above the sensibility of the plot. Like, cause they thought it was so cool to have the zombies rot, but then it totally fucks the plot of the movie. Well, why would they have to leave? They could just wait it out. The thing with Snyder's version, whether he intended this or not, is that I think he actually makes the argument that this is the American dream. And, like, he's not even saying that to critique it. Maybe maybe it was intended to be a critique at some point, or it could have been a critique, but I don't think the movie's critiquing I think it's glorifying it and making it this fantasy of, like, hey, look, now there is this other, and you get to shoot them, you get to kill them, it's going to be fun. And it's like, this This is awesome, we're going to do these slow motion shots of a, a shotgun, even though he's fired it a million times, now we get to do it in slow motion. No reason. For no reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I get that, but I don't I don't really buy the argument of just glorifying violence it means that Americans glorify violence all altogether, yeah. because a lot of foreign films do the same thing. Yeah, and I don't think glorifying violence inspires violence, I think that's complete bullshit. Yeah. Um, okay, we're definitely in agreement on that. Though. Yeah, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with indulging that. But I do think the movie yeah. indulges in that. At the same time, they're killing American <laughs> celebrities when they're playing the celebrity game. <laughs> and that does me- mess with this idea of other. They're not killing foreign celebrities. So there is side of a mix with it, right? So that's why I think that the movie might do that if you view it in a certain lens. But you have to have pre- recognition of that lens that's why we're viewing it within a time period that it was made you know the post 9-11 scare um and islamophobia and all those things but if you view it in a different time frame without that knowledge you might not necessarily understand that this is about a fear of like immigration or something like that it's also a fear that they're going to take our guns away Uh, yeah it's very pro-gun literally the security guards take their guns away and that's like a horrifying concept how dare you it is fucking horrifying in a zombie fight (laughs) why did the security guards immediately say you're gonna go into the cell they are so scared of human beings in general like i just still didn't understand that because there's an infection going around turning people into zombies that makes perfect sense but they don't know that at that point uh i think it was on the news actually yeah, I think it was because we don't see any news till after that point when they're like, "Well, people are getting infected." So presumably, it's been on the news. These people are running around going nuts. Sure, but they're obviously the like totally rabid. fine. Their fears. So but, them but, quarantining them is 
not obviously because one of them was actually infected. Well, yeah, but uh, that was not until later when she was let out. Yeah. Well, she was infected yet. Yeah. Yeah, she was. Um, no, no, she'd been bitten at the fountain. She was infected. Oh, that's fair. But from the the point of view of the security guard, they're just other people. Like, they're just not them. They just don't know who they are. And they're invading their territory. I mean, even the security guards say, this is our mall. You know, like, this this is their mall. They, like, know them yeah. all so well. And so, like, in the end, then, when they're all working together, does that not show that othering is not really a factor in this and that in the end we're all just people and can work together against the bigger other? <laughs> also, to take the side of the security guards for a minute, even though they're completely wrong, obviously. You know that people are getting infected. You should quarantine. You should always do that. They, they literally, they don't know how, where this comes from. They don't know what it looks like in its early stages. There's no way for them to know if they're infected. So that's why you quarantine till you know. Yeah. So, like, what they did, I think, was really smart. Taking their guns away doesn't do anything for that. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it does, because then they could shoot you. No, the zombies you aren't, the zombies don't use guns. <laughs> I know, but they could make you open a door or something and let them in, just... Just compromise your security. Also, if you want a movie from the security guard's point of view, then we've got two and a half hours of that in the Romero movie. Who do you think? Because I, I, they're <laughs> the security guards? Yeah. The, the yeah. Romero main cast is basically the security guards. And then when these strangers show up at their door, they won't even talk to them. They won't let them in. Yeah, yeah, but that's because he knows what they are. And he's right about it. Like, he can tell through talking to them on the thing. Like, oh, yeah. Listen, we gotta be careful. It completely flips the characters' moralities, but it is totally playing on that aspect of the original from the other side now. I said earlier, I think it's interesting, you can view the original as the inhabitants or the villains. Yep, and that's what the Snyder version does. You think it also does that? You think it villainizes the inhabitants? No, I mean, I think the Snyder version literally is... Uh, flips it on its head where the protagonists of the original are now the villains in the Snyder version. That they are the guys oh, in the right. security mall who won't let these strangers in. Yeah, but they have their own... They The security guards all have redemption arcs. They except do. for maybe Bart. Yeah. yeah. The, he's, he's, yeah. He's, the, he's, the, he's the most rapey one, right? Yeah, yeah he's yeah. the one who I'll show you how to use your mouth, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then he gets killed by a ninja zombie. Good. Who, who's actually played by a real amputee. So, in both endings, you have the main cast getting away, and in both of them, I mean, obviously in the Snyder one, they don't actually survive, but that's beside the point, uh, you have this moment in both of them where they're either getting on the boat or they're getting on the helicopter, and one person stays behind and uh, is planning on killing himself. And in, now, of course, in Snyder's version, this guy is infected with a zombie. There is no hope for him. And in Romero's version, he's staying behind basically because he's just planning on killing himself. Like, he, he is so mesmerized by this mall that he cannot bring himself to leave it. And in the last moments mm -hmm. before he shoots himself, he realizes that's fucking dumb. And he turns on the zombies, shoots a bunch of them. Extremely over-the-top, upbeat music plays. That kind of ruins the scene, but whatever. <laughs> and he runs and gets mm -hmm. on the helicopter. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the Upbeats music throughout it is kind of like borderline parody, and I think it knows that it's doing that. Maybe. I really didn't like it. <laughs> the one that we watched doesn't have the Argento music. Wait, really? We watched the one that Romero chose the music for, and this is basically stock music. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that explains why it. it's worse? But I think the, the theme is the same, right? Why, why did he use this terrible music? I don't know. I do know that he edited this in like two months or something because he finished it. I think they wrapped production in February and then they premiered it in Cannes in like September. Wow. Oh, so this isn't that a cut where they extended it. This is like... Yeah, this was the director's cut. Both Romero and Argento took it and cut it oh, differently. Fuck. And this was um, Romero's cut. Is Argento's cut better? I haven't... I don't know if I've seen Argento's cut. Okay. I think I think I've seen two different cuts. Because the editing's really bad sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of lingers. <laughs> you think? I think sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's good. But sometimes they just it cuts dialogue really poorly. Um it, it like it, it yeah, it, it uh, very much is like show this person. The moment he they finish speaking, we cut to the other person poorly delivering their dialogue. 
I noticed the sound design in the beginning of the movie is much mm. worse. Than yeah, the beginning movie. is especially sloppy. Like the first few scenes is like very rough. Um, but there are some good editing tricks. Like when, in the beginning when they shotgun that zombie's head off. Yeah. They cut to it and they actually do show a very fake looking Puerto Rican guy's head for a second. But you but it's so quick you don't notice it. The editing of the action is good. The editing of the dialogue is bad. Yeah, the overall sound design, I think, is the... Yeah. I think that's really the only thing holding <laughs> this movie back. It's interesting they hear that this is not the final cut. All right, Horror Hounds, now it's time for my favorite part of the show, our bone review section. But before we start, a very special shout-out to Andrew Blackney for suggesting that we do horror, uh, zombie horror films. Thanks, Andrew. I'm sure we will again. We've got to return a little oh, bit. Oh, fuck yeah. Point. And if any of you out there uh, have any ideas for any future episodes, please be sure to hit us up on email at cadaverdogspod at gmail.com. Oh, at cadaverdogspodcast at gmail.com. Um, hey, David, why don't you kick us off with your reviews of these movies? First Romero's version. Now I'm wondering if it's just a cut I saw, but, like, I like a lot of what he's doing. Um, I really like these scenes in their little alcove. Um, and I really like the ending of the movie. I'm very, very glad that, uh, that Peter yeah. does not kill himself, that he goes and gets in the helicopter. I think that's a better and more powerful and more interesting ending however i also think that the blue pasty makeup looks fake the editing is bad the acting is mostly bad and the movie is way 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 too long there's no reason for a zombie movie to be more than 90 or 100 minutes um so i'm gonna give it one and a half bones oh it's easily the worst of romero's trilogy by a lot. Ugh. Night of the Living Dead is a fucking masterpiece, and Day of the Dead is also pretty good. Uh, Dawn of the Dead is kind of boring. God. And it's low budget really, really shows. Uh, yeah. Snyder's version, even though I'm not that into what it says, at least it's, like, fun. It's really stupid, but, like, it's watchable. It's easily Snyder's best movie. I'll give that one two and a half bones. Wow. I like Snyder's version better than Romero's version. I am sorry to everyone who I have offended, including myself, because I have offended myself. <laughs> I'm going to offend uh, everyone Damn. as well. And <laughs> yeah, the internet's going to crucify us. I'm Jesus. sorry. I, I'm so glad David went first, because I think I would have like upped my bones a little bit. Because I was so nervous to uh, disagree with most people. Yeah, it must have been the cut that we've seen, but I, I do want to give um, Romero's two bones. Uh, I, I agree with David. I, it was just like, it was too long. Um, I got really bored. It was really hard to get through. But I cannot ignore the iconic imagery I Love a lot of what they did. The female character I enjoyed. Peter I really enjoyed. There were so many fun moments and just the details throughout the entire film and it just the passion and the filmmaking in general. Uh, I, I really loved it. I think it shined through a lot. Uh, Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, I really enjoyed. I like did not enjoy it at the first watch. I enjoyed it this watch. I never got bored. I was really entertained. I was super into it. Um, yeah, there are fucking issues, but, like, at the end of the day, I was entertained, so I'm gonna give it three bones. Wow. Wow. Okay, so, I mean, obviously my reviews are a lot closer to Devin's, but, uh, I, I did mean to mention this earlier, I feel like the mall aspect is just, just so much weaker in The Dawn of the Dead, the remake, because not only are they not real stores, you can kind of tell it's a set. We're not really, like, inside the stores running around. I don't even think there's a scene of them running around a big department store in that movie. It's not about consumerism like, <laughs> anymore, is why. It doesn't matter. Like, you're in a mall. Show me Macy's. Like, run around Macy's. Go down an escalator. Like, where the fuck is that in the mall? It, like, doesn't even really feel like we're in a mall. Well, you need to get Macy's to approve of you putting them in the movie. I It doesn't have to be Macy's, but a Macy's, you know what I mean? Like a fake. Yeah. It's called Stacy's. In Romero's, they have pennies instead of J.C. Pennies. In Snyder's, actually, they have uh, Galen Ross, which is the actor from the original movie, is the name That's of one funny. of the stories. I really liked Hollowed Grounds as that... the coffee shop. <laughs> That's pretty cool. 
Yeah, but in the Romero's one, it is an actual mall that they're in, and so those are real stores for the most part. Um, so I, I'm going to start with the remake, and I'm going to give it two and a half bones. I, I like the remake a lot. When I was a, a teenager and I saw it in middle school, it was like my favorite zombie movie. So there's a lot of nostalgia for me, and I think it's really cool. I think the zombies look great for the most part. Um, they're, they act a little too creature-like for me rather than just like stiff dead people. And there's that giant uh, <laughs> logical like loophole at the end where they don't realize they're rotting and do something like go on a suicide mission, which they don't have to. Uh, so it gets two and a half bones for me. Uh, the remake I love. I love all the cuts. I've seen them all at one point or another. Um, I understand there are some problems with the sound editing in the beginning, but I think overall the editing is not bad because it is a very tense movie, in particular that scene where Steve puts down his shotgun and has another gun and is shooting at the zombie that he can't find in like the boiler room and it's like moving around that seems really tense and like kind of like scary for me even rewatching it now uh, and, and like as a social satire i think it's a very strong piece that resonates with audiences also today so i'm going to give it three and a half bones i think that there are some problems with the movie and you can tell it's low budget and i understand the zombies look blue but i don't really think they look that bad uh and the bites look great when a zombie bites somebody, it looks like they're taking a piece out of them, and it looks freaking gross. So three and a half bones for me. I apologize to Andrew Blackney if I have <laughs> you. <laughs> you lost us a listener. But yeah. Rob is here Cre- to Rob is here to redeem your your our credibility. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently I'm the only cadaver dog who's a diehard zombie film fan. So here you go. Uh, yeah, the internet, the internet largely considers the original Dawn of the Dead the best of the of the dead uh, zombie films. Which is ridiculous. Because yeah. Night of the Living Dead is right there. Yeah, but Night of the Living Dead, I, I just, I feel like it's aged worse. Masterpiece. I watched it again last year. I'm like, this is even better than I remember. This movie's freaking great. It's so beautifully directed. It's like, it's masterful cinematography from beginning to end. All of the characters are interesting and fleshed out and there's so much conflict and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I really like Night of the Living Dead too, but uh, I, there's also a like 20 minute dead span in the beginning of the movie that like should just be like cut down a lot. That's fantastic <laughs> and suspenseful. I, I disagree. But anyway, that concludes our episode 10, Dawn of the Dead. Please catch us on all Instagram and social media accounts at Cadaver Dogs Pod and give us our your new ideas for reviews. And we'll catch you next time, Horror Hounds. We got this, man. We got this by the ass.